morning, everyone. Um, we want to invite our children to Children's Church. If you want to go to the back, your teacher will meet you. Uh, hey, one thing I wanted to say, that song we just learned about the Lord is fighting for us, please don't ever doubt that God is fighting for us, that we somehow have to fight for him. Don't forget who is the ruler and the authority. And I think that the idea behind that song, or at least the, the thrust of it for me, came from Second um, Chronicles uh, chapter 16, uh, Han and I, the seer, came to King Asa after Asa had made a really bad mistake in allying himself. And one of the things that Han and I said was in verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You've done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. The, heart, the, the eyes of the Lord go searching to and fro throughout the earth to give support. So, so who are we? Who, who's in charge? Who's fighting? This comes from the Lord. He's looking for people to serve. He's looking for people to fight for. And so I think that's, that's an immensely biblical thought that the Lord is fighting for us. Um, don't ever doubt that. And, and when you're having a hard time, don't forget that the Lord is the one who's fighting for us. It's, it's really good news. It's one of those great promises of the Bible that we need to remember in hard times. Um, let me open us, in prayer, open us in prayer, and then we'll take a look at the Word. Uh, Lord, um, we do need you to fight for us. Uh, Lord, our arms are not as strong as yours. Uh, our resolve is not as steady as yours. Our purpose is not as holy as yours. And yet, Lord, um, we've sang, we are holy. We are holy because not there's anything good or, or, or right in us, but Lord, you, you have made us holy. You have called us holy. You have set us apart for your purposes, and we are holy because you have decreed it. And so, uh, Lord, I just I thank you for your action, your involvement in our lives. Your, um, as we sang, you're not cold and distant, Lord. You're right here with us, and thank you for that. Lord, we need you to be here with us now. Um, we need you to come and be with us in this time of praise and in worship as we hear your word uh, read and preached, as we sing psalms, and sing, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. Lord, we confess that we need you to be with us. And so would, you, would your eyes, which are roaming across the earth, find us? And would you come and be with us? Uh, Lord, we also want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering persecution. Um, I read this morning a list of the top 10 nations uh, in which Christians were persecuted. And many of them were not a surprise, but Lord, I didn't realize the problem uh, that our brothers and sisters face in India, of all places. Uh, Lord, 65 million Christians in that nation, and the persecution is tough. Uh, Hebrew nationalists, or not Hebrew, um, uh, Hindu nationalists are opposed to Christians and, and to uh, Muslims, and so there is persecution. And so, Lord, we pray for the church in India this morning, would you also, I pray that your eyes would find them there and strengthen them and fight for them and steady them in the faith to walk with you. Um, so Lord, have mercy on them. Have mercy on us in our weakness and our fairness. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to see and to understand. Lord, this will be futile if you're not involved. Lord, this will be a waste of time if your Holy Spirit isn't engaged with his word in our hearts and minds. So come and be with us, we ask, we beg, and we, we count on that being true because Jesus has promised it. And so, Lord, we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Amen. So you remember last week, it focused on two people. John Mark and Timothy were the two big things. Uh, that were the two big names that were present last week. And I said last week, what we were looking at there was this idea of wisdom. And I define wisdom as competency in the issues of reality. Um, that was Tim Keller's definition. And I said, I just want to tack a little more onto that. It's competency in relation to reality with an eye towards eternity. That's Christian wisdom. That, that's what makes wisdom more than just being smart in the world, but takes it into a, a whole new realm. And that, so that was that idea we saw last week was Christian wisdom. And we really focused on those two men to get at it. Um, was it wise for Timothy or for uh, uh, Barnabas and Saul or Paul to take John Mark with them or not? Uh, they disagreed. There was no moral issue. It was a wisdom decision. Uh, was, it, was it wrong or right to circumcise Timothy? Well, it was wise to circumcise Timothy so that he could have a witness to the, the Jews that they were going to be with. Um, last week, I just hinted at how do we come upon this wisdom? How do we get this wisdom? 
How do we grow in that wisdom? And I, we didn't get a really good chance to dig into it because we didn't get to Lydia. And so this week is actually part three of that we did last week. It was just, it was too much to handle all of that in one shot. What we're going to see today is in, in the story of Lydia, this third person in this, this uh, triangle, is how does that wisdom come to us? What do we, how do we gain that wisdom? And, and how does the Lord lead us? How does the Spirit lead us? That really is the question for us. So let's just take a look at this. Um, it starts out with, they're in the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Um, can you throw the map up real quick? Um, let me just take a break here and introduce us to these areas, and then we can get down to the sermon, because um, this is one of those sections where Luke tells us all these places, and we need to just kind of orient ourselves. So Galatia and Phrygia, there's a question here, because Phrygia is part of Galatia. So there's a debate, was it northern Galatia and Phrygia, or it's the region of, the region that is Phrygia and Galatia. I don't think it has to be two separate things. But this is where they did all their church planting. Remember that? They traveled through there and Iconium and uh, Derby and Lystra. Those were all in those areas. And the mission began by Paul saying to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit those churches and see how they're doing. So that's what they've been doing. They've been traveling through this area. Um, Paul has since picked up Timothy. And so what they're going to do next is they're going to want to go into Asia. This is Asia down here. <laughs> I remember as a young Christian going, why is it that God wouldn't let them turn to the right but made them go to the left? Because Asia's off on the right. Um, that's not Asia. That's what we call Asia. But this was ancient Asia. So that was kind of this, this section of um, Turkey here. That's Asia. And then Bithynia is this section up here in the northern part up by the Black Sea. And uh, Mysia is the place that we heard about that they went. It's in this general area. It wasn't a defined real estate. It wasn't like it had boundaries, and this is where Mysia is. It was just in that area. So that's where they wound up going. Here's Troas, a uh, city on the, on the um, coast. We heard about Samothrace. I couldn't put it in there because it just was getting too crowded. Samothrace is a little tiny island up here under the O in Neapolis. That's where they sailed to. And then they went to Neapolis and then to Philippi. So that's the layout of the land, okay? So we got the general idea. Good, now we don't have to look at the map anymore. <laughs> I'll explain why this happens in a little bit, but I just want to kind of get that out of the way. So they're going through Phygia and Galatia, and they're strengthening the church. And Paul had wanted to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit said no. How did the Holy Spirit say no? I have no clue. <laughs> Nobody else does because this is all Luke said. So if somebody tells you this is how the Spirit speak, spoke to Paul, they're wrong, <laughs> probably, because we don't know what he said. It could be, remember who was traveling with him? It was Silas and Timothy. Silas was earlier referred to as a prophet. So perhaps Paul said, okay, you guys, tomorrow we're going to head down into Asia. We're going to go to, to Ephesus or something. And Silas received a vision and said, no, we can't go there. The Spirit's saying don't go there. Maybe that. Maybe it was just pure circumstances, uh, road construction. <laughs> the Romans were rebuilding a road, or maybe there was a war or an insurrection or, or something. Maybe it was circumstantial that they said, well, we can't go that way. That must be what the Spirit's leading. Um, we don't know. So what happens is they wanted to go into Asia, but the Spirit forbid them. And so uh, they came to Mysia with an attempt to go north into Bithynia. And again, this time now it's the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So is that a different spirit? We're proper Trinitarians. It's in the name. Everybody say no. That's not a different spirit. That is the Spirit of God said, no, don't go south. No, don't go north. And so they wind up heading, uh, continuing west, and they wind up at Troas. So that's where they go. Um, so when they get there, Paul has a vision. Now, this is one of those instances where God shows up, and this is the most important part. When God shows up, this is what's happening. Because the Holy Spirit told them, don't go into Asia, don't go into Bithynia, go to Troas. At Troas, God gives them a vision and says, this is what I want you to do. So this is the important part. Have you noticed that every time the gospel has moved into a new kind of region, the Holy Spirit is really active? When it was time for Philip to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit carried him out, picked him up and carried him out into the desert and said, now go catch up to that, that um, wagon over there and talk to that guy. Um, when Peter needed to go talk to Cornelius, a Gentile, Cornelius received a vision of an angel. An angel came to him. Peter saw a vision. The Holy Spirit said, Peter, go do. 
So these are those cutting edges, these leading edges where things are about to happen, and that's when God shows up, and he's very clear in this. So this time they go to Macedonia, which is in Greece. This is the first time the gospel goes into Europe. So they are told a, a man of Macedonia stands and says to them, come to Macedonia and help us. How did they know he was Macedonian? Because he said, come to Macedonia. That's how he knew. <laughs> there, there was some discussion about clothing styles, and I'm like, yeah, you know, the answer is right in front of us. Do we really need to make it complicated? The guy says, come to Macedonia. He must be in Macedonia. So, um, and, But he says, come and help us. And I was kind of tripping over that for a little bit. Isn't it odd that he said, come and help us? Like the work was already happening and come and join the work and, and do these things. That's not probably what it means. Often the word help is, uh, is talking about salvation. So what it sounds like then is they're saying, come to Macedonia, come to this new place and preach the gospel to us. And we know that's what happened because that's what Paul and those guys decided was they said they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So that's, that's the simple answer. We don't have to get all hairy with it. And I'll tell you, the commentaries, you're lucky I stand between you and the commentaries. Because <laughs> there are some crazy notions about what's going on here. Um, one idea of this Macedonian was, well, it was, it was um, Alexander the Great. <laughs> Why? Because he was from Macedonia. Okay, so like everybody saw his picture on TV or something? I mean, how would he know it was Alexander the Great? That doesn't help. Another one was, well, it's, it's uh, Luke. Why is it Luke? There's nothing that really says Luke was from Macedonia. So uh, you get these crazy ideas. What's the simplest answer? <laughs> Paul saw a vision. <laughs> and in a vision, have you ever had a dream? And in the dream, you just know something that never comes up in the dream? Like this one person, I knew this person was really super important. Although nobody ever came up to you in the dream and said, this person is really important. You just feel it, right? There's, there's more that happens in a dream than just words. And so it could be that when Paul had this vision, he, the Macedonian guy looked like anybody else, but he knew in his spirit, he knew inside him, this guy's from Macedonia. And that's where God's calling us. So it, 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 we don't have to make it really complicated. It can be pretty straightforward. Um, here's the thing. Oh, one more thing before we get to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's things. This is uh, what we call the we passages of Luke, or of Acts, rather. This is when Luke apparently shows up. So it looks like, and the theory is that Luke joined the party in Troas because all the way up until uh, that part, it's they went through this area and they had come to Mycenae. So passing by, they went to Troas. And then it says, and when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go. So the theory is that Luke joined the party at this point. Um, I think it, it's, it's highly probable that that's what happened. And the reason is because, did you notice how general Luke was speaking about things before? They traveled to uh, Cyprus, and they traveled across the island. He doesn't give all the details about how they traveled and where they went. And now all of a sudden it gets close to Luke and the detail picks up. The map gets really crowded because Luke is recording all these things. It feels like this is Luke's personal engagement with this. So how did he know all these details? Maybe Luke was a journaler. You know people who journal all the time? Are you a journaler? I tried it. I'm terrible at it. Maybe Luke is looking at his own personal journals and saying, hey, this is what happened. Because remember how he started Luke? He said, look, it, it made sense to me to talk to all the eyewitnesses and get this all put together. So what a better eyewitness than Luke himself. So what's the big deal? Well, here's what I think is really important about this is if this was written hundreds of years after the event, some people think it was written like 200 years after the event or 150 years or something like that. You would expect the author, who isn't Luke because Luke's been dead and dust for a while, to either be really articulate and, and map out all these little tiny details all the time or never. But you wouldn't expect him to switch from third person to second person and say, we did this, and by the way, here's all these little details. It just feels more authentic, doesn't it? It feels like all of a sudden Luke has stepped into the scene, and now he's talking personally. This is what I did. I went with these guys. This is where we went. So why does he mention Samothrace? It doesn't ever come up in the Bible again. Who cares? He mentions it because that was his experience. I sailed from Troas, we landed at Samothrace, and then we headed over to Macedonia. It just is one, of those, one more of those little tips that makes the Bible feel authentic. 
It just doesn't feel like somebody made this stuff up. It doesn't read like mythology where, you know, the, you know, the sea monster rose up out of the sea and carried us on its back as we slayed it with swords and, you know, something like that. This is all feels very down to earth, very real. And, and that's that song we sang said, you know, God, you're not cold and distant and neither is his word. It, it actually happened with people in his space and time. They really sailed from Troas to Samothrace. I just think that's cool. <laughs> I think it's really neat that that it's that real, it's that concrete, that it happens in space and time. It's not something out there in bizarre. So Luke's we passages kind of fit that to, to generate in us or to hopefully assure us this is an actual event that happened. And this is an eyewitness account. So science will tell you, the bad scientists will tell you, there's faith and then there's science. They're an opposite things. Faith is just, you know, like uh, Mark Twain said, believe in what you know, taint so. And science is, well, this is proven facts. The truth of the matter is, they both overlap. So when somebody says science is facts, then you can say, all right, Einstein's cross. It was a theory that if um, light was coming from a star, it would bend around a star and you would see the light being bent in different directions. Have you personally ever peered through a telescope and seen Einstein's cross? No, I haven't. Do you believe Einstein's cross proves Einstein's theory of uh, gravity? Yes, I do. Why? Because I have the credible testimony of people who looked through a telescope during a total eclipse of the sun and saw Einstein's cross, and so therefore I believe it. Okay, well, all I'm doing is looking at the credible testimony of eyewitnesses who saw an event and believing it also. I didn't have to be there to see it. So don't ever let anybody tell you that, that facts of this and faith is not based on facts. Our faith, Christian faith, is based on actual historical events. This really happened, folks. Luke really sailed with them. I love that about the book of Acts, is Luke's involvement in it, not just absent, you know, recording it hundreds of years later, but experiencing it. So the we passages are great. I love them. I'll, I'll probably nerd out on them quite a bit. Um, but they're helpful. So here's the other question. The other thing, there's a couple of things. Um, why did the Spirit prevent them from going into Asia and, and Bithynia? Did God not care to save people in Asia and Bithynia? Was, was he just being a cruel God who said, no, you don't go and tell those people they can go to hell, literally? Why would he do that? Well, it's complicated, um, but... It looks like the Holy Spirit was really funneling Luke and, and um, or funneling Paul and his party into Troas and launching them into, uh, a, uh, into Europe for a purpose at a specific time. Did the gospel ever get preached in Bithynia and Asia? Paul went back through Asia later on. He preached in Ephesus. He preached in a number of places that are in that area. Bithynia was an early defender of Christian uh, doctrine of the Trinity. So it wasn't like God was saying, don't go talk to those people ever. They're, they're just, they're, they're damned and I don't ever want to talk to them. What he was saying is, at this point, what I need you to do, Luke, or uh, Paul, is I need you to go to Greece. That's what I need you to do. And, and he'll go do that. So part of the reason for that is, I think, we, we think that... Um, it should just go everywhere all the time at every, every instance. But we forget that God's the one who's in charge of these things. God is the one who says, go and do this and don't do that and head this direction, but don't head that direction. And he has a purpose in it because God's not some random event. He, he has purpose. He has intention. He has a reason for doing things, even when we don't understand it. So if you don't understand the reason that God does something, does that mean God doesn't have a reason? <laughs> My kids, when they were growing up, often didn't understand what Lisa and I were doing, but it didn't mean we didn't have a reason. It just meant they didn't get it. They might get it later. So just because we may not understand why God did that doesn't mean he didn't have a reason. So here's what Paul will say in next chapter, in Acts 17. He says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live all on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwellings, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So the fact that there is a region called Asia and a region called Bithynia, and there are people living there who God said, don't go preach to them yet, go over there first, is because God had established these boundaries, these regions, these times, and said, at the right time, I will bring the gospel to that people. But it will be according to my plan and in my time. 
So one of the things we say is that the gospel has to be preached across the whole world. All people need to hear it, and then Jesus will return, right? And that's the Great Commission. Go preach to all the nations. Uh, go, go make disciples of all the nations. And yet, there are people we can't get to. Uh, when Jesus said that, there was a whole North American continent with people living here that they didn't even know existed yet. It took years before the gospel came to these shores. It took, what, 1,700, 1,600 years? It, God has times and seasons and purposes and plans. So when he tells them not to go there, it's because he's sending them to someplace else. And that at the right time and the right place, he'll bring the gospel to those people. So that's, that's how he's bringing it. Now, the other thing to pay attention to is, last week we talked about wisdom. There are times when you just don't have a clear answer. You don't have a yes or no, up or down. You have to make the best choice given these, these events. So should John Mark go with us? Well, he didn't go last time, so no. Yeah, but he, John Mark, he's, he's done much better lately. He's, I, I think he's trustworthy. We have to make that decision. We don't have a clear yes or no, up or down. We base it on what we think is right, wisdom. In this case, was wisdom required for them to not go into Asia? The Holy Spirit made it abundantly clear, you don't go there. When they went north to Bithynia, was it you know, a matter of wisdom? Nope. The Holy Spirit again intervened and said, no, don't go there, and left only this narrow window for them to wind up in Troas. Um, sometimes that's how the Holy Spirit will work. And, and the, there's a, a time when we use wisdom and we don't have an answer, and there's times when he makes it clear. Um, my story of going to seminary, you probably, by the time I retire, you'll be sick of hearing it, but that's how preachers work as we get our favorite stories. So let me tell you about my story again. I had been an elder in this church and um, was interested in, in theology and Bible and teaching and, and that kind of stuff. I preached once in a while. And I really, and I kind of wanted to go to seminary, but we weren't ready. We were in the Air Force, and it was just not time to go. And then when Bob Burris left, we had a time, of period, a time between uh, pastors, and I wound up preaching more and did some, uh, some other uh, pastoral work, visiting people in the hospital, um, that kind of stuff. And, and whenever I'd preach, I'd preach about once a month. People would go, you missed your calling. You should be a pastor. I'm like, nah, not me. <laughs> you got it wrong. And, but I still had this desire to go to seminary, and, and Lisa and I just felt, you know, it wasn't the right time. This just isn't the time to go. And then we called Daniel Holmquist, and he was preaching an evening sermon. He did a series of evening services, and he was preaching on the attributes of God. What's God like? And, you know, talking about his omniscience, he's, he knows everything. His omnipresence, he's everywhere. And the one that got Lisa and I was his invisibility. Yeah, I mean, that's obvious, right? <laughs> we can't even remember what he said. We were sitting right where Rich is, I think, if I remember right. And Daniel was preaching about invisibility of God, and he said something, and in my head it clicked. I went, we have to go to seminary now. How am I going to explain that to Lisa? Heartbeat. Lisa leaned over and went, we can go to seminary now. The Holy Spirit had confirmed in both of us, in that instance, through the preaching of the word, now is the time to go. And that sounds like, oh, you know, coincidence and, you know, big deal. It, it, you know, it wasn't a coincidence. This had been an ongoing thing for a while. And in the same instant, we agreed. Why is that important? Because about halfway through seminary, I was failing Hebrew. Bad. Struggling. I couldn't get the Hebrew words in my head. I couldn't remember the paradigm for how to decline Hebrew verbs. It was a mess. And I was sitting at the kitchen table crying. I was like, I'm going to quit. I, don't, I can't do this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened, but I, I, I'm not doing this. And Lisa, I still remember her standing next to me, putting her hand on my shoulder and saying, remember how we got here. And I just kind of took a deep breath and sighed and went, okay. We were both sure that it was the calling of the Holy Spirit confirmed by the members of this church that I needed to be in seminary. So as horrible as it was, as, as soul-crushing as it was, I needed to be there. So the Holy Spirit can give us wisdom and, and not answers. And sometimes he can intervene and give us really clear answers. And guess what? He does it because he does the right thing. He knew in a way that I would never know that I needed to hear that. Because Lisa's wise words about, remember how we got here, came up a couple of more times through my seminary career when I was just like, I'm dying. I just can't. I'm not going to make it. It was, again, being reminded the Holy Spirit has called us to this. Okay, we can do this then. We'll make it through. So that's what happens with Paul, is he wants to go here, he's told no. 
He wants to go here, he's told no, and he winds up in, in um, uh, Troas. Even though his plan was to go someplace else. The Holy Spirit relies on wisdom, but he can also intervene. And that's the point is the, the names that are given in this section to how that was communicated are very interesting. First of all, it's the Holy Spirit said no to Asia. Then it's the Spirit of Jesus said no to Bithynia. And at the end, after the vision, they say, well, God has called us. So Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God were all involved in this call. Um, one of the commentators said, this is not nascent you know, early Trinitarianism. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> it just is. It's okay. The, all three people of the Trinity are involved in this call, and they make it abundantly clear. This is the time to go. This is where I want you to go. We'll get to those other places, but what I need you to do now is this. So while we have to have wisdom and we get wisdom, we can also rely on the Holy Spirit to be direct as well. Now, he doesn't speak that clearly every single time, but he does grant us the wisdom when he's not speaking that clearly every single time. And so that's the beauty of that song that we sang about God is not cold and distant. He's not. He is right here with us. And if we will invite him in, if we will listen, if we'll be sensitive and aware, he will guide our steps. He will lead us where he needs us to go for his purposes and for his glory. And the way that the reason that this is important, the reason that, that we have the spirit who will come and live with us like this is because Jesus ascended to the right hand of glory. We saw that at the beginning of this gospel or this gospel. Um, well, it is. This is gospel part two, right? Luke part two. Uh, the beginning of this book, what happened? Jesus came, he made a pronouncement, and then he ascended into heaven. Stephen, when he's being stoned, he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of power, the right hand of authority. And because Jesus ascended into heaven, because he ascended and he stands right at the right hand of God, Spirit, listen to what he says in uh, John chapter 16. He says, but I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why does the Holy Spirit direct us? Why does the Holy Spirit come to us and give us wisdom? Why does the Holy Spirit sometimes intervene in our lives? Because Jesus ascended into heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father, and sent the Holy Spirit on his church. That's why. Because Jesus is ruling. Jesus is triumphant. Jesus is exalted. And then he sends us out into the nations. And he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can go and so we can have confidence and we can have wisdom and we can lead and we can go. It's rooted in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The hard part is we don't see Jesus in this section. But we do because the Spirit has come. And we only have the Spirit because Jesus ascended into heaven. That's why he said, look, I've told you these things and it makes you sad. You would be much happier if I was to stay with you forever. But you don't understand. If I leave, if I go into heaven, something even greater is going to happen to you. It won't just be me here standing with you. It will be the Holy Spirit poured out on all of you. And that is the promise. That's the glory of this. And so this is the mission. This is God's initiative. This is God working in that way. So what's the, the result of it? The next section. So sailing from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Um, so this is why some people think Luke is Macedonian, is because he speaks so highly of Philippi. It's like, really? <laughs> That's your evidence? <laughs> How about if we just say, we're not sure where Luke is from and leave it at that. Does it change the fact that Philippi was a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony? It doesn't add or detract from that. It just is. Philippi was named after Philip, one of the, the conquerors. He, he had defeated Mark Antony, and, and this, uh, this, section, or this, this city was named after him. And it went back and forth. This, the history is boring. It went back and forth, but it was eventually established to be a Roman colony. It's, it's an important city. This is where the seat of Roman authority in Macedonia was at the time. It was, it was kind of a big deal. And that's exactly straight where Paul heads. If we're going to go to Macedonia, where are we going to go? We're going to go to the most important city there. We're heading to Philippi. So that's where they wind up. Now, what happens is, on a, um, they, it says at the end there, we remained in the city some days. So they were there for a while. It's a big city. They would have to be there for a while. When he says that, he's summing up the trip to 
Philippi. It doesn't necessarily mean they traveled from, um, from Neapolis to Philippi. They were there for some days, and then on a Sabbath they went out to a prayer place. It just says, we got to Philippi and we stayed there for a long time, for many days. During that time, on a Sabbath, they went out. Okay, so let's not get too picky with the chronology. Um, but it's interesting that on a Sabbath, they go out to the riverside. Was there no synagogue in a big, important city like Philippi? Paul's pattern that we saw in Galatia and that whole region was head into a, a synagogue, preach about Jesus, and, and break up the synagogue. Split it, basically. Um, he gets to Philippi, and he doesn't do that. On a Sabbath of all days, he goes out to the river. The theory is that even though Philippi was a large and important area, there were no Jews there, or there weren't enough. Um, the, the rabbis at that time had determined, in order to start a synagogue, you have to have 10 Jewish men who will get together, and then you can start a synagogue. Um, it's hard to believe, but maybe they didn't have enough men to start a synagogue. And so there's no synagogue to go to, so they go, well, where are the believers meeting? And they go out to a riverside where there was supposed to be a place of prayer. And they sat down and they spoke to the women. So they go out to the river, and, and there's a group of women that are sitting out there praying. Um, it's women, it's not men, so if there was a group of men, maybe they could have formed a synagogue. That's, that's not, by the way, that's not Bible law. That is rabbinical decisions. That's rabbinical law. And so it's, it's not like some holy, unbreakable thing that you couldn't do that. So the women are there, and they go out and they begin to preach. And one of the women they preach to is a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. And she is a seller of purple goods. Um, guess what region Thyatira is in? Asia. And the district that it's in is called Lydia. So there's a theory. Was her name Lydia or was she just referred to as Lydia because she was from Lydia? Um, or could it be both? Uh, you know, don't know. Her name, it, the Bible clearly says she was named Lydia. So let's call her Lydia. Um, she's from Thyatira, so she has traveled from Asia into Greece to do this, this uh, selling. And to go to Philippi is really important because that's a major trade route. That's, that's, there's a big city there. There's a lot of trade going on. And she's a seller of purple. Now, today, we got, you know, I got socks that are purple. What's the big deal? Well, don't forget, back in those days, they didn't have a bunch of chemicals they could whip together and come up with the color they wanted. Any color that they made something had to come from a natural source. They had to have some place to get that color. Purple was extremely rare. Um, I, I read up on how did the, the Thyatirans make purple. There were predatory sea slugs <laughs> that had a secretion. And the secretion was purple. And so they would, they would gather up up to 10,000 of these sea slugs. And I guess milk them or something? or I don't know what they did with them. <laughs> I inked. <laughs> Little Finding Nemo, you made me ink. Um, but it was, it was a very labor-intensive thing. You would have to do a lot of work to get enough of this stuff to dye things purple. And therefore, purple was extremely rare, so purple was very expensive. So Lydia is, it comes from an area that's known for their purple, and that's how she's making her money. So she's probably got a business set up in Thyatira that's generating this stuff, shipping it across, and she's in Philippi selling it. And that, that was her business. Um, she was a, a successful businesswoman. She was doing pretty well. Um, some people talk about her husband. I didn't see any mention of her husband here. Did anybody catch that? Did I miss something? No. Um, it says Lydia was there, and Lydia was a seller of purple, not her husband. Um, doesn't mean she didn't have one. It just means we don't know. So it's okay to not know. You know, sometimes we get a little edgy if I don't know. Um, but it's okay if we don't know. We'll just go with what Luke said. So Lydia is there, and it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. She was listening to what Paul said, but to pay attention, to get it, it took the Lord opening her heart. Do you see what God has done to save this woman? The Holy Spirit said, don't go into Asia, don't go into Bithynia, get to Troas. At Troas, sent a vision, said, get to Macedonia. They go to Macedonia, and that's where they find Lydia. She wasn't in Asia, so don't go to Asia. Go to Macedonia, because that's where she's at. 
So again, this is the Holy Spirit working so that the Holy Spirit could open her heart to receive the message. She's what's referred to as the first convert in, in um, Europe. It's the first person that's actually in the continent of Europe who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. So this is the extraordinary measures that God will go through to save you. So is he fighting for you? What kind of extraordinary measures did he go through to get you to open your heart so that you would believe? He has, he has pursued you. He has sought you out, and he's called you to himself. So, so Lydia has her ears opened by the Lord, and she, she pays attention to what Paul said. And then she was baptized in her household as well. And she said, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Um, after she was baptized in her household, how many people were in her household? There should be crickets at this point. <laughs> were there infants in her household? Again, there should be crickets at this point. Did she have a household? Now you can say yes, she had a household. She was a successful businesswoman. Apparently this house was big enough to host a church because later they're going to come back and they're going to visit her and the, ch and the household that's in her church. So it's a, she's probably doing pretty well. But there are theological arguments about household baptisms, and that's the, the basis for why we would baptize infants. And I just don't see it. It's, there's not enough here to make that inference. There, there are times when we should infer from the Scripture. We can read it. We say, this is what this says, and therefore we should, it must mean this. Those are called good and necessary inferences. The only way to make sense of this is to infer. And then there are inferences that are good but not necessary, and then there are some that are necessary but not good, and some that are neither necessary or good. <laughs> um, this one falls into the, I don't know if it's good, and it sure, certainly isn't necessary. So just had to say that because I, I get in these arguments and i got to get it off my chest. <laughs> the household baptism doesn't work. Um, if I can argue, add one more little argument, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians says, um, I, um, I, I didn't baptize any of you except uh, the household of Stephen and I, somebody else. I, I can't remember who it was, uh, but I didn't baptize all of you. So he baptized the household of Stephen. Therefore, the household of Stephen must have had infants because I decided it did. But later it says that you should pay attention to and follow the leadership of the household of Stephen. Well, the infants too? You know, the three-year-old, when the three-year-old comes screaming out of the house and, you know, you're supposed to do what they said, you know, it, it just is a weak argument. Um, I feel better now. Let's press on. <laughs> so there, the message comes to her and she hears. And it's, the other question to ask is, it, it refers to, to Lydia as um, a worshiper of God. Now, if she's from Asia and she's now living in, in Greece, she's probably a Gentile. She has a Gentile name. She's in a, in a line of business that's a Gentile because if they get it from sea slugs, sea slugs aren't considered clean. They would be unclean animals. They'd be kind of in this shellfish, shell, not cell, shellfish category. So they would be unclean. So she's probably a Gentile, but she's a worshiper of God. So how is it that she heard about the Lord, Yahweh? the God of the Bible, and came to worship him. Well, one of the things is that during the reign of uh, Antichus III, and that's towards the end of the third century, um, Jewish soldiers settled in Phrygia and Lydia, um, and uh, they became the basis of the diaspora. The, the diaspora is, is the scattering of the Jews amongst the nations. This was the third century BC. The Jews settled in the area of Lydia, where Lydia is from. So she would be like a proselyte like um, some of the other folks that we've met, these God-fearers who are in the synagogue hearing about Yahweh um, but haven't quite converted yet. That's, that's that term that's used of her as a worshiper of God. So she's familiar with the Jewish God. And so when Paul and, Barnab or Paul and, and uh, Luke and Silas come and they begin preaching, she's got enough Bible in her background to hear it and get it. This is what you're talking about. I understand. I've heard these verses before. I've heard people talk these things before. You're telling me that this Jesus fits that bill? So she becomes a believer. She puts her hope in Jesus Christ through that. That's how she came to do that. One more little observation. We were talking about wisdom earlier, right? That, that sometimes we don't have clear answers as far as wisdom. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit intervened and said, go and do this, didn't he? Notice something. Who did Paul see in the vision? A man 
and a woman gets saved. From Macedonia, and she's of Thyatira, come and help us, and she gets saved. Now, it's not saying that no Macedonian men were saved. They were in the city for some time, and they write a really nice letter to the church at Philippi. So probably, yeah, that happened. But I just the way Luke puts these two things together, I think, is really something. Is The vision is go to Macedonia and preach to a man and get him saved. And the reality is go to Macedonia, preach to a woman from Thyatira, and get her saved. So even when the Lord is super clear and says, go do this or don't do that or don't go there, don't we still have to have some wisdom in the middle of that? It was wise for Lisa to lean over me and say, why are we here? Remember how we got here to seminary. And it took some wisdom, a little tiny scrap that was left by that point to say, yeah, I need to, that, that's how we apply that. That's why we're here is because the Lord called me. So even when we have clear answers from the Holy Spirit, we still have to have some wisdom in the middle of that. Paul could have gone out to the, the, um, the place of prayer, looked around and go, there's no guys here. I, didn't, I saw that guy in the vision. That's who I'm looking for and go back into the city. But he didn't. He knew this is an opportunity that the Holy Spirit has opened to me is to preach the gospel to these folks, and that's what I'm going to do. And so that's what he does. So in the end, she says, come and stay at my house. So she prevails on them. You need a place to stay while you're in Philippi. Come and stay with me. And she prevailed. Um, I just love that, that picture. You can imagine her going, no, really. And Paul's saying, no, 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 we don't want him. But no, really, come and stay at my house. You know, being very firm. And what a great story then to have a, a house church spring up in her house after Paul had been there. I, I wish Paul had been here and preached here. That would be a great, a great pedigree to have. Uh, but that's not what happened. So here again, is that issue of wisdom comes up because they had to make the decision, um, are we only here to save this one guy who called us or has God called us to come and preach to everyone? And they have. This all goes back. Who's the prime actor in, in this whole thing? The person named the most in this entire story. It's not Paul. He's, he's hardly mentioned. It's not Luke. He, he comes in third person. We. The most... The, the person who's mentioned the most in this is God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, God in a vision. The Lord opened her heart. In this whole story, the prime actor, the person who is doing the most action, is not a human being. It is the Lord working through all of these things. So if this fits, if my theory is correct, if this is part three that goes with the wisdom in the first part, and this is the second part about how the Holy Spirit leads us, if my theory is correct, then we have to look at this and say, this is all about God. So how do you get wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? I think the way Luke resolved this, the, 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 as the chord resolves in this, in this trilogy here, it is pointing you back to God. God is the one who gives wisdom. So James, I think, a good place to go with this. James chapter 1, in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Why? Who's going to give you wisdom? God's going to give you wisdom. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you need wisdom, you ask God, and God gives wisdom. But, Luke's, or, but uh, James is not done. He says, But let him ask in faith. Without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. So we receive wisdom by asking in faith, by trusting, Lord, this is your promise to me. You said if I lack wisdom, I could ask you and you would give it, and you would give it without, um, without reproach, and you'd give it generously. So again, this is faith. This is trusting in God's promise. Lord, you, you promised me wisdom, and I'm coming to you and I'm saying, I anticipate wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. And he gives it. So in verse 16, Luke, or James goes on and he says, Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good gift comes down from above. What did Jesus promise earlier in the sermon? If I ascend... If I go away from you, I'm going to send you the helper, the comforter, the paraclete. I will send him to you. Every good gift comes down from above 
and is given generously, without reproach. If you want to grow in godly, biblical wisdom, you need the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit. Anything short of that, James refers to wisdom that's from above, and then there's demonic wisdom. So how you grow in wisdom, how you gain wisdom, how you get wisdom, is a good gift that comes down from above. And if we're right in this section of Acts, it is the function and the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And that, that wisdom will sometimes look like a very clear answer to a question. Should I go into Asia? No, you may not go into Asia. And sometimes it will look like absolute silence. And sometimes it'll be confusing. A man of Macedonia said, come and, say, and, and uh, help us. A woman of Thyatira winds up getting saved. It, sometimes you have to stand back and say, well, what is the Holy Spirit actually saying here? How, how should I interpret this? How should I walk in this? Is he saying not to preach to women from Thyatira? No. That's where that aspect of wisdom comes in. This is all rooted in what James said. If you lack wisdom, ask in faith. You have to be trusting. You have to say, Lord, I'm a goof. I, I confess right up front. I'm a complete goofball. I'm going to mess this up. But I'm trusting you, not me. So Lord Holy Spirit, show up and lead. Show me where to go with this. And this offer of the Spirit, this offer of wisdom, this offer of the gift of the Spirit is available for all who believe in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 9 says, But if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of him. That's the measure. If, if you're of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you put your hope in him, if he's your Lord and Master, you have the Spirit of Christ. That's what this is saying. And if you don't have him, anybody who doesn't have the Spirit is not of him. So that's the offer. Is how do we grow in wisdom? How do we grow in understanding? Is we ask for more of the Spirit. And that was a parable Jesus told us. Is, is, you know, your father, when you go to your father and you say, I want something, your father gives it to you. How much better is God who's not evil? And how much would it delight him to give you more of the Spirit? So ask for the Spirit. And ask without doubting. Ask without wavering. Not because your faith is strong enough, not because you're, you're sure about these things enough, but because you look at God and you go, God, I know that you're faithful. I know that you're good. I know that you're right. I'm asking, Lord, would you give me wisdom because of who you are? And I need it because of who I am. Not the other way around. It's not dependent on that. that the, the dependency here is, is God faithful? And will he do it? And how does this fit into the mission? They're on the mission, right? They're, they're out preaching the gospel to the nations. Uh, again, it's printed on the wall, heads up. <laughs> Go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am with you even to the end of the age. The spirit of who told them not to go into Bithynia? Jesus. If anybody doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he's not in him. Jesus is in us and with us and present working through us in that promise, I am with you until the end of the age because he has given us his spirit, because he has ascended on high and he has sent his spirit. He is with us. He is working in and through us. So as we're engaged in mission, as we're heading out to uh, Macedonia, um, we go with the confidence that the Holy Spirit has called us and he's leading us and he's working. And he will give you wisdom. Now, Macedonia will look different for everybody. We all have different forms of Macedonia in our lives. But we don't have different forms of the Spirit who's leading and guiding and saying, take these steps and follow these ways. Go here, don't go there. Um, what we have is similar to what Paul had. Paul had a group of people traveling with him. Let's just suppose for a second that it was Silas, the prophet, who said, don't go into Bithynia, don't go into uh, Asia. Paul didn't get that message. Silas did. When they got to Troas, it wasn't Silas who had the vision. It was Paul who had the vision. What you see is there's a variety of gifts, but one spirit. We need each other. We need the variety, the diversity of the body of Christ to receive these different ways that the Holy Spirit is going to bring things to us. And so you may not have every single answer. You may only have a part of it, but somebody else in the body might have the rest of that answer for you. 
And then you in turn might wind up receiving something from the Lord that somebody else needs. So I think it's a beautiful little microcosm of the church there in Troas and the Holy Spirit working. And he chooses not only where you go and where you don't go, he also chooses who he's going to speak to and how he's going to speak to them. And that's not fair. I want it all. But isn't God good? Won't he give you every good gift from above? So the diversity in gifts, the diversity of approaches is not a curse. It is a blessing from God so that we can follow him, so that we can hear him, so that we can experience him. So that, that's the end of the trilogy of names. <laughs> it ends with, with um, Lydia, and uh, we'll see her again toward the end. After the Philippian jailer is converted, they'll go back and visit Lydia again. We'll, she, we're not done with her. Um, but that's our story. That's, that's our, our principle that we get out of this nice story. Otherwise, it's just a really great geography lesson, you know, because we find out where Samothrace is, and you didn't know that before now, and now you know. That, that doesn't help me in, with that eye to eternity. But knowing that the Holy Spirit is with me because I'm in Christ, and he's offering me wisdom if I ask, that's more that eye towards eternity. That's more wisdom. And with that eye towards eternity, let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray for more of you. Uh, Lord, in, in Romans 8, you say that um, the Holy Spirit intercedes with, for us in words that are, that are just too deep, with groanings that are too deep for words. And Lord, we, we count on you to intercede for us, to ask for more of you. And Lord, I will confess that all of us in this room need more wisdom. There's nobody in this room that has all the wisdom they need all the time. And so, Lord, we're counting on what James promised us, which is those who seek wisdom, who need it, can ask, and you will generously give it to us. Lord, would you grant us all another notch of wisdom and take us up another notch or two in the wisdom scale and give us more. And Lord, ultimately where all this leads is not so that we will have much more comfortable and, and enjoyable lives, though that's a byproduct of it, um, the joy uh, Lord, we, we want more of you, and we want more people to know about you. So, Lord, would you lead us to a Macedonia? Take us out to a riverside and show us somebody who is missing a part of the puzzle so that we can share what it is that you've shared with us. And, Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.